Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Verse 6. Picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) If you have a tablet or a phone, now's a good time to silence it. I need to, I might need to do mine too. It may go off in the middle of it. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, that's kind of toward the front of your Bible. One good thing about the, the beginning of the Bible is that it pretty much is in chronological order. That is, the things that happen from Genesis up through about Ruth, uh, well, even further than that, I guess, through Kings, really, all of that is pretty much in chronological order. It, it pretty much is written and about the order that it occurred in. Now, there's some repetition there when it comes to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Some of those books cover some of the same uh, same things, but uh, as a whole, or, or generally speaking, maybe a better way to put it, uh, those first few books of the Old Testament are in chronological order. So it's kind of it's a little easier for us, at least, to kind of see the progression how things have occurred. How God uh, worked in Genesis by giving the promise to Abraham, uh, and then eventually Abraham's ascendants grew until there was Israel, who had 12 sons, and they became a nation in the 12 tribes of Israel uh, that we uh, talked about in Joshua a couple of years ago when we were going through Joshua. And then after Joshua, after the 12 tribes get their land, that's where we're at in Judges. So that's kind of what we had been talking about through chapter 1, just a really quick refresh. Fresh, uh, chapter one of Judges picks up when Joshua, after Joshua's death, when the twelve tribes are in the land that God had promised them, He had given them the land. Although there were still some enemies, or some inhabitants, that might be a better way to say it. There were still some inhabitants of the land that were still there. Now they indeed were uh, the enemies of Israel because they were living there. The Canaanites, all the people that were living in that land, were there. Now here comes Israel uh, moving into the land that God had given them, and there were a few uh, Canaanites who still lived in the land. Now God had given pretty clear instruction to the Israelites that they were to uh, drive them out, that they were to completely destroy those inhabitants of the land. But what we saw in chapter 1 is that for the most part, they didn't do that. Uh, Other than... than, there was, there was a little bit of good with Judah, uh, but apart from Judah, uh, after that, all the other tribes that we read about, they were not obedient to the Lord. They did not drive out the other tribes. They, they in, instead lived among them. They enslaved them, the things that God did not tell them to do. And so they were in a bad shape. That's what we saw in chapter 1. Now, at the beginning of chapter 2, a couple of weeks ago, we see that God is angry with the people, and rightfully so. Uh, these are God's people. God loves them. He sees the dangers that could come from them turning to other gods. So God is not happy with what takes place with them. And in the beginning of chapter 2, God says, Look, I'd made a covenant with you, and all you had to do was keep your end of the covenant. I told you that if you would be obedient to me, I would deliver these enemies over to you. But God said, Since you didn't keep the covenant, since you weren't obedient to me, as a result of that, you're not going to be able to go into the land and overtake these enemies like you would have been had you have been obedient to me. And that's what we saw at the beginning of chapter 2. Now, 
these, this next little section that we'll be on for the next couple of weeks that we, that we talk through Judges is, is, is a little unique because it kind of it takes a break from what we had talked about at the first part in the first chapter and, and what we're going to be talking about in the third chapter. And it's almost as like the writer here is kind of going back in time. Now, we don't know exactly who wrote Judges. More than likely, it was Samuel that wrote Judges. Uh, Samuel would be a good fit for it. He would have been uh, alive in this time. He would have known. He would have had firsthand knowledge of some of these things that went on. It's more than likely that Samuel wrote the book of Judges. I don't think I've told you all that, but some of you may have been curious to know that. But whoever the author was, they kind of go back here, starting in chapter 2, verse 6, through uh, chapter 3, on into chapter 3, and kind of recap things we've already talked about. Now, we've already seen the death of Joshua in the book of Joshua. And then we start off Judges talking about the death of Joshua. And then here in chapter 2 and verse 6, it begins to kind of talk about some of the same things that we saw in the book of Joshua, some repetition that's taking place here. But, But what these few verses tell us is it kind of points us back to the past, to the way things were, and then it kind of takes us to the future, or the present at least, for, for what's going on uh, in Judges and what will continue to go on in Judges. Uh, and so we see what happened with Joshua and how the people were, but we also are going to see how the people are right now and how eventually that's going to harm them even more as we continue on through the book of Judges. So let's pray, and then we will jump into the text. Father God, we come to you tonight. I pray that you clear our minds of the things of the world. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me to your people and to me, dear Lord, to our hearts, that we see your grace in these words, that we, that we see uh, the failures of the Israelites, dear Lord, and maybe we even realize some of our own failures and sinfulness here tonight. And I pray, God, that your word, something that we read, that the Holy Spirit through your word, God, would do a work in our life and our heart tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Judges chapter 2, verse 6. Joshua sent the people away, and the Israelites went to take the possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people worshipped the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime, during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance, in Timnah Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. So here we kind of see how things were in Joshua's time. It kind of takes us back to what occurred in the book of Joshua. Now Joshua was a faithful and good leader of the Israelites, and that showed in his time. And the author of Judges here tells us that. When Joshua was alive... And those elders who were alive with Joshua were still alive. God's people, the Israelites, did what was right. So when they first came into the land, things were going well. We know that through the book of Joshua because we saw them driving out the enemies. We saw them taking over different places. We saw that the Lord was with them. Uh, We we, uh, may think about Jericho. That may be one of the most famous instances where they they went in and the wall came tumbling down after they marched around the city and did what the Lord told them to do. So we know that they were walking in obedience to the Lord through the book of Joshua. And the book of Judges here reminds us of that. That look, during Joshua's lifetime, because he was a good leader and because... Those in Joshua's lifetime were alive through all these things that went on in the way that the Lord worked. 
They remembered what the Lord had done. They had experienced it firsthand. They knew who the Lord was and what had done. So they weren't quick to turn from Him. Uh, They were being obedient to the Lord. Now, if we go all the way back to Exodus, God had delivered His people out of Egypt. But if you remember, that initial group that was led out of Egypt, all the old people, the older generation, didn't make it into the promised land because of their disobedience, because they didn't trust in the Lord. As a result, they were forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So that generation passed away. But the younger generation is the one that went into the promised land with Joshua. And that's the ones that are being talked about here. The younger generations who had faith. So we've already seen this pattern in Israel in their ancestors. In that they didn't do what the Lord told them to do. And as a result of their disobedience, a group didn't get to inherit the promised land as they, as they would have had they have been obedient to God. It was their children and grandchildren who got to go into the promised land. And it's this group who had been obedient to the Lord. But now that Joshua is, uh, is about to die, or ha- has died, as we see recapped in this passage here, things are going to change once the new generation uh, uh, comes into the picture here. And that's what we're about to see in the verses to come. So things were going well for Israel initially when they went into the land. Even though there were still some of the inhabitants there, everything would have been fine had they have listened to the Lord. Now, uh, had, they, had they have listened to the Lord at the beginning of chapter 2 in the verses we read where the Lord's anger uh, was against them and they began to weep when the Lord spoke against them, if they would have really had a heart of repentance there, if they would have really been weeping over their sin, then the book of Judges would have ended right there. It would have been in, in the line of one of the shortest books in the Bible had the Israelites listened to what the Lord said, repented of their sin on the spot when the Lord spoke to them at the beginning of chapter 2. If they would have said, look, Lord, we shouldn't have abandoned you and went to serve other gods, if they would have repented, everything would have been fine from that point on. The book would have been over. They would have went into the land. They would have run out the rest of the inhabitants. All would have been well. But they did not repent. They did not listen to the Lord. They did not seek Him, and they did not trust Him. They continued doing the very same things that we were introduced to at the beginning of the book in chapter 1. Even though things were well when they first went into the land, it tells us here in these verses we read, under Joshua and under the elders that were with Joshua, eventually those faithful men and women of God began to pass away. And when they did and the new generation began to rise up, things began to go downhill very quickly. Let's read a little further. Verse 10. The whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. I believe what he's saying is there is that they passed away. That generation before they went to be with the ancestors, the ones who had gone on before them. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works He had done for Israel. Now, they, they didn't really have first-hand experience of how good God was or maybe how bad things were in the wilderness. They didn't have the same experience that their parents had. Now, whether their parents passed those things down to them in the way they should, I don't know. Perhaps their parents had passed these things down to their children, and the children just didn't listen. They just didn't connect with them because they didn't have it firsthand. Or perhaps the parents didn't do a very good job of equipping the generation to come. The text doesn't tell us that, uh, but it's not hard to believe that that could be the case. Uh, oftentimes you may hear complaints today about this younger generation, these younger people. Oh, this younger generation. Well, this younger generation was raised by some parents, and so we can't put all the blame on the younger generation. 
Uh, It's the parent's job to instill uh, good values uh, into children. Now, children will make their own choices and the way we'll make their own decisions. It's not always the parent's fault, but maybe sometimes uh, the parents are in some way to blame for the generation that follows. But yet and still, no matter how good parenting is, you cannot, you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, say too little about first-hand experience. It's hard for a generation that has lived with plenty, as my generation has, it's hard for my generation who has lived with plenty to really grasp the concept of what it means to live with nothing. Now, some of you may have lived with nothing. Uh, Some of you may have had parents or grandparents who came through the uh, depression and who live with nothing. Uh, And some of you who may have that experience or may have known someone who have had that experience, it's hard for us who maybe haven't, you can't really understand what's that like, what what that is like without that firsthand experience. Now, part of the problem here for this younger generation may have been that the parents didn't, didn't tell them didn't bring them up, although the text doesn't tell us, we don't know. Or it could have just been that they were just a rebellious generation. They were young, it was their time, they were going to do things their way. And we see that in our world today. Uh, In every country, every generation comes, the styles change, uh, what's hip and what's cool changes, uh, how the kids, uh, the young people act changes, that's just the way things go, and it was no different in Israel. Except in Israel's case, the things that they were uh, dabbling in were very serious things that God had clearly told them not to do. In verse 11, let's read a little further. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight, They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. This, excuse me, they infuriated the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Asterisks. Now, even if, if this younger generation didn't have a vast knowledge of all of the law of God. Now, when I say all of the law, I'm talking about the end of Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. And God makes it very clear through His words that they are not to worship other gods. He also makes it clear what the consequences are should they worship other gods. Now, even if they had not had vast knowledge of all of the promises of God, at the very least, if they had only read the first four of the Ten Commandments, they would have known pretty clearly what God was telling them. Don't worship other gods. Don't put any other gods before me. It was very important to the Lord that they not leave him to go to another god. Why? Because God knew that there was no other god. God knew that there was no one else who could take care of them like he could take care of them. If they were to go and leave him, who else was going to take care of them in the way that God was? Well, there was nobody that was going to take care of them. Who was going to bless them in the way that God was? Well, there was nobody who was going to bless them in the way that God was. Who was going to be with them to fight their battles for them and keep them safe when the enemies come against them? There was no one. Who was going to provide food for them when they were in the desert? Who did that other than God? There was no one who had provided for his people or would provide for his people in the way that God himself would. Now, God knew that the Israelites were best off with him. He wanted them. They were his people. They were, uh, he was to be their God. But they 
saw the things of the world. They saw these other gods. It talks about the bales there and the asterisks. Now, when you see those things mentioned, that's false gods. It's talking about the false gods of the Canaanites, the people who lived there. They had altars there. They had all of these statues and things that they worshipped and idols. And God said, do not go in there and give in to those things. Destroy those things. Run those people out of there. Don't even leave. Don't leave a trace of them there. Get rid of all things that are evil. And we talked a couple of weeks ago that sometimes we may be just as guilty. We want to hold on to that little thing. Well, that little bit of sin's not going to hurt. Well, it does hurt because a little bit of sin can turn into a whole lot of sin. And a little, a, a little leaven uh, can grow into the whole lump and make it something big. And that's what uh, sin does. And so God told them, don't entertain any of these other gods or the people that worship them. And this younger generation came in and they failed to listen to what the Lord had told them to do. So what was God's reaction to them in verse 14? The Lord's anger burned against Israel and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whatever the Israelites, excuse me, whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. Now, if you go back and read, we won't look at it tonight for time's sake, but if you go back and read in Deuteronomy chapter 31, you will see that the Lord knew that they were going to do this. Because he says in Deuteronomy 31, here's what they're going to do. And exactly what the Lord said they were going to do is exactly what they did. Now, what we see here in these verses is something that we see throughout Scripture pretty frequently. And that is that God uses evil people sometime to bring punishment on his people. Now, we see it here with these marauders and the people that are mentioned that are still in the land. And where before, if the Israelites would have been faithful, they would have had no problems uh, overcoming these enemies. They would have been able to overtake them. They would have been able to destroy them. They would have run them out. They would have had no issue because God was fighting for them. That's who gave them the strength to overcome these enemies. It's not that the Israelites were just a super strong people in and of themselves. Their strength was not on their own. It was from the Lord. The reason they overcome their enemies was because of the Lord. The reason we overcome our enemy and our temptations and our struggles is not because of our strength. It's because of the Lord's strength. When we trust in the Lord and when we have a good relationship with the Lord and we are following Him and living for Him and trusting in Him, guess what? We can overcome those things that are coming against us. Now, it may not always be easy. There are things that we may struggle with that may not be easy, but I'm, I want to tell you tonight, keep seeking the Lord and keep trusting Him. It may be that He's letting you go through something you're going through for an extended time because He wants to teach you something. Maybe He's trying to build your trust in Him. Now, when we are trusting in the Lord, He will help us to overcome those who are against us. But when we are not trusting in the Lord, then we may suffer the same fate, and I would say we probably will suffer the same fate as the Israelites. That is, those things that we should be able to overtake and overcome, we can overcome. They're stronger than us. They're not stronger than God, but if we're not trusting in the Lord, then we don't have God's strength fighting for us. And the Israelites here were not trusting in the Lord. They had turned to other gods, and as a result, God said, okay, I'm not going to protect you from them. I'm not going to keep you safe from them. They're going to come in, 
and they're going to take you over. Now, this was to teach the Israelites a lesson. Now, God's hope, as we see throughout all of the Old Testament, was that his people would turn to him. Even when they were the worst of the worst, it's the most beautiful thing that God would still have grace on them. Now, their sin is horrible. Now, sometimes we may look at the Israelites and say, but God always, he always took them back. Well, yes, he did. But that doesn't mean that there weren't consequences. There was great consequences. There were whole generations that missed the blessings of God. A generation in the wilderness for 40 years. A generation or more in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, on further on. God did have, have patience and grace on the, on the people of Israel as a whole. But as individuals, many of them suffered great consequences because of their disobedience to the Lord. But even still, in the midst of their disobedience, which is a horrible thing, and we need to recognize that because it may be in our life too, but on the flip side of that, God's grace is a beautiful thing. It's a grace that's, that we can't, I can't even really comprehend why God would put up with those people so much, and I surely can't comprehend why he would put up with me. In Jeremiah chapter 3, I believe it is, God says, look, I gave them their divorce certificate. They just kept on and they kept on, and I tried and I tried and I tried, and finally, Israel, I gave up on them. And then he says, look, and Judah, the southern tribe, they saw what happened to Israel, and they still didn't listen. They still didn't turn from their ways. And God says, look, I'm done with them. But then a few verses later, he says, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to be faithful. Even though you cheated on me, even though you were, you went out with other gods on me, God says, I'm still going to be faithful. Even though he was angry with them and all of his, all of his anger and all that was going on, God showed this, this amazing grace on his people. Now, praise the Lord, God still shows amazing grace to us today, but we don't want to. I hope you don't want to be to where you have to be as bad off as Israel before you realize how good God's grace is. We need to realize how good God's grace is without having to go through the struggles, without having to be overtaken with our enemies, without having to have all of these things God may allow to happen to us to happen to get our attention. Let's just read God's word and see what happens to the Israelites and see God's good grace and let that get our attention tonight. Now, God here was angry with the Israelites, and he said, look, I'm going to allow these enemies to come in, and I'm not going to fight for you. They are going to bring judgment on you, and God does that with other nations. He brought in the Assyrians later uh, to take over the northern ten tribes. Uh, after that, he brought in the Babylonians to take over the uh, southern two tribes. That was the 70 years of captivity I just mentioned. And so this is not uncommon for God to use the other evil nations uh, to take over and bring punishment to his people, not that he's blessing the other nations. He's just allowing them to do what they already do, and that is evil. The, God didn't make the other nations evil, nor did he make Pharaoh evil, who had uh, the Israelites in, in slavery in the book of Exodus. God didn't make these people evil. They chose to be is, uh, evil. Uh, should they have begun to seek the Lord and, and call out to him, God would have uh, allowed them to be his people too. But they were evil people, and they weren't going to call out to the Lord. And God allowed them in their evilness to bring judgment on his people by allowing them to suffer these things for a while so that they would realize how bad it is without God so that they would turn back to him. Let's read a little further. Verse 16. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders, but they did not listen to their judges... Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. 
They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. Now here we get a little preview in these few verses of what we're going to see throughout the rest of the book. God sees that there's a problem here. He sees that the people are going downhill really fast because they're not going to be obedient to him. So God is going to raise up judges to put over the people. Now, what you will notice as we read through and see these judges is these judges, they weren't, they weren't really super godly people themselves. They were some pretty rough characters in the mix that we're going to see. But even as bad as they were, God still used them. Even the, even the best of the bunch in Israel at the time wasn't too good, but God used what he had to work with, and he raised those judges up, and the judges would come in. And they would be there to fight for the people. And they would lead them past their enemies. And they would be good for just a little while. But it wouldn't last long. And then they would go back to their wicked ways. And the cycle would repeat. Then God would raise up another judge. And that judge would be uh, there to fight for Israel. And that judge would lead them past their enemies. And all would be good for a little while. And then they would go back to their wicked ways. That's the pattern that we see all through Judges, and the author of Judges here is preparing us for that pattern that we are about to see. In verse 18, Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, going after other gods to worship and bow down to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. So here we see, just kind of from the last verses we read to these, we see that pattern. Uh, we're being prepared for what we're going to see, just a downhill trajectory all through. And even in the midst of all this, of all the Israelites had done, God would hear their groans, and he would have pity on them. That's unbelievable. Now, we may be tempted to, whenever we see people who have done wrong, we may be tempted to say, oh, well, you made your bed, you lay in it. Now, there may be times, there may be times, and we see that with God here. He didn't rescue them from every situation instantly. They did have to suffer for a little while to learn from their mistakes. Ultimately, after, after a period of time would go by, God would say, all right, I'm going to give you some grace, and we're going to see if you learned a lesson. However, they never learned the lesson. They didn't learn it in the book of Judges, and in case you don't know, they didn't learn it through the rest of the Old Testament, and they hadn't learned it by the time Jesus came onto the scene. They still had not learned to be obedient and trust in the Lord. Now, some had. There were some who were faithful throughout all of these disobedient and unfaithful. There was always a remnant of people, a few that were faithful, but there were a lot, there were many that were not faithful. But even still, in all that, God was gracious enough to have mercy on them in the midst of all that they were doing. Verse 20. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. Now, we kind of close here with exactly the same thing that we close with uh, at, the, at the end of, of, of the last, at the beginning of chapter 2, last time we, we were in Judges. And that is God reminds the people, look, I would have been with you had you been obedient to me, but you were not obedient to me. 
You prostituted yourselves, as we see in the uh, book of Judges, to other gods, to these other nations, to these other peoples, and you turned away from me. And as a result of that, you're going to have to suffer some hard times. Now, we look at the Israelites here, and, and in many ways, I don't know that we are too different. And I don't know that we suffer different, uh, much less than they did, so to speak. Maybe we God teaches us lessons in different ways, uh, but I do still believe that God will do things and allow things to occur in our life uh, to get our attention. Now, God doesn't do that because he's just playing a game with us and wants to torture us. Anytime God allows something to happen in our life to get our attention, it's because he wants us to draw closer to him. It's because that we're doing something that we shouldn't do. It's not that God doesn't want us to have any fun, but oftentimes the things that Satan makes look fun are things that are going to lead to really bad things in our life. The things that oftentimes we look at in the world and we say, boy, that looks cool or that looks fun are things that are going to endanger us, are things that are ultimately going to pull us away from the Lord. Now, the Lord is good. He doesn't just, uh, I don't believe at least, he just allows us to go on our way without trying to reach out and convict us, especially those who are his. I believe that God does speak to us, first and foremost, through his word. Uh, he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit that is within us if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And sometimes he may allow situations to come in our life to get our attention. But let us not be so foolish as to have to get to that point for God to reach us. Let us examine our lives and test ourselves and say, Okay, God, am I trusting you the way I should? Am I obedient to you in the way I should be? Are there things in my life that's drawing me from you? And God, if those things are there, then we need to ask God to help us to overcome those things. Not by our strength, but by His strength. And when we seek Him, we will find Him. And when we find Him, we will be a lot better off with the Lord than we will ever be with false gods and with sinful things in our life. And that's the lesson that the Israelites failed to learn. And sadly, there are many Christians today that may have failed to learn that sad lesson. But don't let us be that group. Let us not be the foolish group, but let us be wise to seek the Lord and to trust Him uh, in all we do. Let's pray. God, we come to You tonight and we thank You for these good words. And this is a, this is a, a tough word, dear Lord, because, boy, we see, we see how easy it is to, to, to get off track, dear Lord. We see the Israelites and what they did and... God, how you kind of left them to their enemies. And that's a scary thing, dear Lord. And uh, maybe you've done that to us in the past. Maybe you're doing it to us now. But God, I pray that we would turn to you where you don't have to do it to us in the future. Dear Lord, that's the tough part. But God, the beautiful part of this is your grace. And we thank you for the grace that you've shown your people throughout, throughout your word, dear Lord. And we thank you for the grace that you've shown us. And God, I pray that we would just... Uh, we would rejoice in that grace and let that motivate us to, to stay close to you, God, to be in your presence, to be in a relationship with you, dear Lord, that you would help us to, to overcome those things that are against us. Maybe there are some things we're struggling with and maybe it's been going on for a long time, dear Lord, and maybe, maybe you're trying to teach us something through whatever we may be going through or may go through in the future. But God, I pray no matter what it is that we keep on trusting in you to know that you are stronger than anything that this old devil in this world can throw at us. So let us not give up hope, but be encouraged in your grace throughout all that we do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.